Hey everyone, welcome to the Meaningful Revolution podcast where we help you live, create, and implement a life that's fulfilling and meaning and worth living. Today's guest is born and raised in the Chicago area. He lives a life of adventure and intrigue, but is mainly trying to raise two wee lads, remain happy and happily married, and to be somewhat adept at his job. He's a firefighter, he's a coffee shop owner, He's also one of my good friends growing up. I'd love to introduce you all to my friend, Jim Braniff. Jim, welcome to the podcast. It's my great honor and pleasure to be here. Excellent. We're talking about different things that we could talk about and having known you for such a long time. I know that health is a very big part of your life. It's one of the things that I really admire about you. It's just... Did a family trip and stayed with you and your family for a little bit while we're getting my dad situated. But I always look forward to seeing you because I always walk away with a couple of new health things to, to set that stage. So I guess my first question is, how did you become such a health nut? Was there a time in your life when you weren't paying attention to it? Something changed and then you're like, oh, I need to figure this out or... How was that process for you? First of all, thank you for saying those kind things about my health habits rubbing off on you. Hopefully I haven't led you astray. Only that is once. a great question. I think they, at least they were able to reattach your arm. So it was okay. Yeah. For me, from a young age, my mom was always really into health and wellness. I have distinct memories of going with her to jazzercise and <laughs> sitting there watching all of these. So... I was born in 1983, so like was a thing when I was eight years old. And <laughs> I would go with and I would be in this big gymnasium and my mom would be up there with all these people, music blasting, and here I was sitting there watching them. And then just fitness was always a part of her life. Not so much my dad, but I think that rubbed off at an early age. And then just playing sports as a kid impacted just I wanted to be physically outside and doing things. And then when we were in high school together, Sean, you were there doing things like track and swimming. I think that was an initial kind of set that stage of I wanted to be athletic. By no means was I ever or currently am a great athlete, but I did just like to move. Uh, and I think the nutrition and then the wellness bit of it came as I aged. And then as I became a firefighter, seeing what do I need to do to do my job and do it well? in a way that's not going to get me hurt. These all kind of were influences that made me really interested in how am I moving? How am I eating? What does that mean for my family? So those were all big impacts in developing that attention to health and wellness. I think that answers your question at least somewhat. Yeah, no, totally. So I know having known you probably what since middle school, like regularly, I think we knew each other in grade school through another mutual friend a little bit, but what I've just noticed is like, there was that time where we're all really fit together as like a crew, you and a couple of our other friends. And then a couple of us did marathons, a couple of us had health as the cornerstone. So I'm just curious, like, how do you, is there anything that you're doing to continue to learn because that's something I've also really admired about you is I feel like some of our friends stop that or have had fits and starts 
and myself included, I'll say, but you've seen really consistent on it. Is that, is it just because it was ingrained in you at a, a young age or like, what are some of the things that you've found that have been really helpful in your life at work or in your day to day? Yeah. I, I think that ignorance is bliss. And <laughs> for me with the health stuff, what has been hard is I think people that know me such as yourself, it seems like I'm always waffling around or jumping on new bandwagons, but that's not what it's been to me has been. We know so little about health and human performance as a scientific community. And I think the bar is always moving and evolving. And that's the mindset I've always looked at things or the lens I've looked at things through. So as time has passed and maybe I'll read deep nutrition which is a really good book. We could probably in the show notes, which then led me to, okay, how here's about nutrition. How am I moving? Which led me to the ready state and mobility. Watt at the time with Kelly Starrett's uh, YouTube channel, which then has evolved into now he's like this great influencer, which eventually led me to listening to the Huberman lab, which then led me to listening to the drive by Peter Atia. And I think all of these things, if you keep an open mind when it comes to the way we are humans and the way this knowledge and body of content has grown over the years, and especially recently is really growing and just not be dogmatic has been my mantra with this. If there is a new study out there, there's new information out there. I will hear that with an open mind. And I think I've gotten better as time has gone on it saying, oh, maybe this is something I can implement in my life or try and espouse to my friends and family. But just that mindset of it's okay to try new things and it's okay to self-experiment uh, has really driven me to say, what's going to work for me? But that, that that has been my mantra as I've moved through this. Awesome. And I would never say you like waffled on any of this stuff or were like on top of the fads. <laughs> I rely on you actually to like test things out and like, I know that when you're like, hey, you should try like Athletic Greens, like I've been doing it for a while. It's, you've had some benefit. There's some practical thing that you've already tested out. It's very rarely, oh, I'm trying this new thing right now. I don't know if it works, but you should do it too. Like it always has been, I felt really researched, except for that one elusive big time that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> Have that refruit. But again, as you said, the arm did grow back. It's like you just... You don't know what you don't know. And I like mm -hmm. I think back to like back when we were in track and we were Sean and I listeners were shot put in discus throwers and <laughs> so weightlifting and strength training was a big part of our daily training and we would have maybe once a month we would max out on say bench press squat, the big heavy lifts. And what would we do before maxing day? We would all go out to Brown's chicken and just stuff ourselves silly. Like we would get like hush puppies and fried chicken. And then we would go and lift the heaviest weight we could possibly lift. Like it was so stupid. I think, yeah. I think back to those, but I think we thought we were doing ourselves a service. We were like fueling ourselves up. And I, so you just learn along the way about your own body, but also about oh. the health trends that are going on in mm -hmm. popular media or whatever. And if it works for you and sometimes it really doesn't so if you're listening to don't eat a bunch of fried food before you max your bench press <laughs> bad idea okay so 
how has your evolution on nutrition changed over time? Would you say if you could like describe that journey? Yeah, that, that's a, a great question. I think that initially when I really started to pay attention to what kind of food I was eating was in college and I was lifting weights pretty regularly, heavy weights. And then it, it was like suddenly, hey, this maybe this matters as to what I'm eating. And that's when I started to focus on getting some higher quality proteins. And that, that kind of became the emphasis for a long time. It was like, am I getting enough protein? I'm, am I drinking a protein shake after a meal? Which after that, I feel like I probably just had a standard American diet for a number of years until maybe 10 years ago when I'd read about the Whole30. I'd gotten that book, gone down that road and thought about, okay, like what, maybe the foods I'm eating aren't suited to me. Maybe I do need to do some sort of elimination thing where I eat really clean and then reintroduce some stuff and see how it makes me feel. And that was the first time I really felt the power of a change in diet. The first Whole30 I did, which if people are not familiar with the Whole30, it was a pretty popular, it still is pretty popular. Essentially, it's an elimination diet where you eat things that are very non-inflammatory. So what you are eating are meats. You can eat meats, fruits, vegetables, and essentially that is it. So you're eliminating dairy, you're eliminating grains, legumes, and sugar from your diet. And you do that for 30 days. And then the idea would be you would take each one of those food groups and introduce them back one at a time for, say, a week. Say, okay, I did the whole 30. I did 30 days. I'm now clean, detoxed to a level. And now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat some cheese and see how it makes me feel. That was the first time I felt the power of a diet where mm. I lost, I know I lost fat and I actually felt great energy. And I realized like, well, this food thing, what we put in our bodies is, is important. And now as I've aged, I'm knocking on 40s door here in a, <laughs> less than a month. Uh, my, the new thing that I've really started to focus on is actually for a time tracking my macros, being a food diary. I'm using an app called Carbon, which is a really great researcher. Guy, his name is Lane Norton, has created this app, and he's a PhD, and his whole thing is human metabolism and protein synthesis. And I don't want to say it wrong, so I check out what his actual title is of his doctoral paper. But knowing what I'm putting in, actually tracking that on a daily basis because it is really eye-opening to what you're eating in a day when you don't think about it. You take a handful of this or a handful of that, you're not realizing that does all add up. So getting a good look at what my macros, my macronutrients are, looking also at what the micronutrients that come along with that, it really is empowering, I think, as a, as a, as a human to know what you're putting in you. Absolutely. This is one of those things where I'm like, oh, maybe I should do a form of this myself. Having done a lot of different things diet-wise when I was training for marathons and whatnot, like that shifted some stuff. And I found that eating not processed food, just eliminating like packaged things had a really huge impact on how I felt and slept every day, which is crazy. After watching this documentary, I think it was on Netflix called No Impact Man, which it's 
insane because the guy like tries to live off the grid in New York City in an apartment building for a year without producing any trash. Right? That's that was his challenge, and I'm like, I want to see how long I could do it, and I could do it for two weeks <laughs> and still have a small bag mm. of trash. But it was a really weird thing when I lived in Arkansas trying that. But yeah, so tracking macros, that's, I actually bought a food scale. I've been weighing food. Like I had a parfait this morning and I know the amount of grams and stuff. So this is a personal question now that I have you on a camera now for the world. Like mm. how are you meeting your protein macros, man? I have a protein <laughs> shake. I've been really focusing on trying to get protein. I think at my height, I was able to get 80 grams short of what I needed to each day. Like, what are you doing to meet that? Yeah, I, I struggled with the protein at first as well. And what I really started to do was I looked at, okay, so I'm, a, I'm 175 pounds and I want to be eating about that in, in protein. What I did was I said, I know I'm going to have three meals in a day. And I know I'm probably going to have one snack, post-workout snack or something. So I said, all right, let's say it's 180 grams of protein. I just divided that by three. And then I took five or 10 from each meal and put that towards the snack. So I know at breakfast that I need to have, say, 50 grams of protein. I do 50 grams of protein for three meals. I'm at 150 grams of protein. I have my post-workout snack. That's going to be 30 grams. I'm at 180. I think doing it that way and having a plan is really important. As far as the actual food that I'm eating, I really enjoy yogurt. So Greek yogurt is a pretty high protein item. And being able to get that in full fat, 2% or no fat is very helpful. So that is, I would say, something, a staple for me. A high quality whey protein is another really good source of protein. It's easy to digest for me. I don't have any issues there. And then what I've been using is I love Costco and they have some minimally processed like roast beef. That's a very easy one to, you look at the ingredient list. And one thing I didn't mention when I was running down my history with food and nutrition, you already brought it up, the eating things that are not processed. That is a a really big deal. If you were to come to my house, you would not find packaged anything. It's all things. It's whole fruits and vegetables and meats and dairy. Very little in the way of this, which is difficult because I have two kids, which we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah. But uh, I have two young boys. So that they want it's Boy, has marketing done a great job making kids want things that are processed. But in any event, so that roast beef has been helpful. I also really like sardines, which I know might turn a lot of people off. I feel like there's a lot of confusion over what is a sardine versus an anchovy. People hear sardines and they think, oh, those are really salty and that's what you put on your pizza. Anchovies are the really salty ones. So anchovies uh, are like a punch of salt. Sardines, while they are, there is some salt content in them, it's not like something that you would taste. I would liken the flavor almost to tuna, but I like sardines, which are very high in protein. And they have a great omega-3, omega-6 balance. So those are some great sources of protein. But ultimately, I think that the point of tracking your macros and the point of hitting those numbers the way you want them is you do have to think about it for a time. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that this is something you want to do for the rest of my life. And I would imagine, Sean, it's the same for you. You don't want to 
weigh your food every single meal. No. But at least <laughs> to get an idea of, gosh, okay, I understand how much carbs is in this, or I understand how many how much protein is in that. I think that it really empowers us to navigate nutrition in a way that is going to benefit our goals. So I think that's another thing we haven't really mentioned is what is the goal of the food you are eating? Sometimes the goal is pleasure. And then I don't think there should be weighing. I think that you should be able to go to your favorite restaurant and get your favorite thing and not worry about it because what's food isn't just to me, isn't just about fuel. It's also about culture. It's about spending time with friends. I think the macro thing is good, but it, like most things, if it's taken too seriously or it becomes a dogma, it can be harmful to you too. Absolutely. Yeah. The way that I approach it, and I think this will lead into our next set of questions pretty well, but my thinking on anything nutrition or fitness or health-wise, I'm always thinking like, how can I, what can I take from this that'll change my lifestyle going forward? And I think that's a really good belief on, I think the Whole30 did that in eliminating a lot of, oh, it's like, I know that beans really do mess up my digestion, right? I get gassy and it's noticeable, feel a little bit bloated. So I have to watch out for that stuff. And I know that from this thing. So like I've incorporated my diet to not do that or like fried eggs every morning have been pretty much a staple for since my experience with that. But yeah, I think waiting food, like for me, the reason why I jumped on the train or last week, actually, as, as recording this episode, it was more for just that awareness. Like, what are my macros? Like this first week, I really try, I've been trying not to do any changes to my diet to have like a baseline of like, when I'm out in the world and eating things for pleasure or fuel my body, what is that actually doing to my system? And then to thoughtfully then shift, okay, and do exactly what you're talking about. If I want to lose weight or what that goal is, like I can make the plan to make it happen. But because I don't think, honestly, that looking at it from this last week, it's too terrible. It's just there are certain things where I'm like, oh, that's a lot of fat in almonds when you eat three hands handfuls and you're like okay didn't mean to do all that stuff yeah i i cannot i can i will express how devastated i was when i realized how much fat was in a handful of macadamia nuts (laughs) it was devastating to me because those are one of my favorite snacks and here i was thinking i'm doing this great healthy thing and i think they are healthy in moderation but you don't if you unless you don't know yeah and for me, like, I think it's what was empowering for me was I've been intermittent fasting for a number of years. I've really enjoyed the way it feels. I was doing an eight-hour eating window. And once I started tracking my macros, I realized that generally speaking, I was undernourished. I was not eating nearly enough calories or protein in a day, even though I thought I was. And I felt full. And then now, having done this tracking this and actually trying to hit these macros intently, I'm eating more food than I was before, yet I have still gained more lean muscle mass than I previously had. Mm -hmm. So a year ago, I had calculated my body fat and I was at 19% body fat. I just followed up with my doctor because it's been a year and I'm at 12.5% body fat. That is a big jump. 
And I really think that has been in the last several months of using this app because I think that I'm actually nourishing myself the proper way. Wow. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I, congrats. I, that's not what I, and that wasn't even my intent. I wasn't trying to, I'm, I don't want to be a bodybuilder. I'm not trying to gain lean mass in the sense that I want it to be for my physique. I'm happy with my physique, but I think it's, it is beneficial to lose body fat, generally speaking, from a health standpoint. So I am happy about that outcome. Yeah. Right on. That's an inspiration, my friend, <laughs> and something I hope to replicate here in the coming months in my pursuit of doing all this tracking. So with that said, I do want to shift. I think I love these set of questions because it, it's like, how do you think now about nutrition, about general fitness and health? If you could summarize it in beliefs instead of implementations, Tracking your stuff is, is important, but we were hinting on that awareness is actually what you're going after. And so being aware of the nutrition and the micro and macro nutrients going in your body is important to know. Could be like a belief. Do you have a set of principles or a way of thinking about each of those different areas, nutrition, like fitness, and maybe just those two categories or anything else related to health that would be helpful for people yeah. to consider. Yeah, I think that one of the most important things when it comes to your wellness, whether that is is your your athleticism or your health, your weight, is you need to have a, a goal. You, you need to have something that you're striving for. And for me, that goal has somewhat been bolstered by my career because my job is physical. My job is is something that I cannot underperform physically. So that there's always been, for me, this overarching, I want to be able to physically do what I need to do to do my job. But it's also been, I also want to physically be able to do anything. I want my friend Sean to be like, hey, do you want to try surfing with me? And I can say yes. Not because I know how to surf, but because I know that my body is, at least train to a level where I'm not going to get hurt trying it, mm -hmm. or I'm going to be resistant to getting hurt trying it. Pick any sport. I'm not good at any great, any sport, but I would want to be able to try any sport. I want to be able to run around with my six and four year old and get tackled by them and get up off the ground easily without pain and creaking and all and some negative effect. So that's my overarching goal. I would say or behavior is this is why I'm doing this. I want to be able to hike in Banff or go hike in Joshua Tree, which is my shirt. You can't see. It's pretty, nice. it's pretty rad. <laughs> that is pretty uh, rad. But I want to do these things, and I want to enjoy them. So that's my overall goal. Behavior-wise, I think what's really important for anyone listening to this is to actually track what's going on with you because that's a behavior – that I think will really help you. Like it, that's something I've come to learn over these last several years of really into these like wellness podcasts. While they are really good, and you can read Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Body, but until you apply that to yourself, it's all they're speaking in generalities. They're talking about what worked, what showed up in a study that had a bunch of metadata, or there's or Tim Ferriss in particular is all about self experimentation. 
but that's what worked for him, right? So I think that principle does need to apply to your own wellness because something that works for the masses might not work for you. You might, you might be an outlier and there's nothing wrong with that, but unless you are actively tracking and being smart about what you're doing, you won't know. If you scattershot everything, how do you know what's working and what's hurting? So I do think it's important to, to operate with intent, whatever that is, and actually record what's happening to you so you know what works and what doesn't work. I don't know if that helps answer the question or... Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's have a goal and then take measurements. I think what's implied, and I want to pull this out, it's also like you mentioned, don't be like scattershot about it. Pick one thing you're going to change stick with it for a month or two and then see what happens. So it should be like a science experiment, right? It's if I measure my food for the next two months, which is what I'm currently doing, then I'll have a better idea of what I'm consuming and I'll make better choices with my food is the hypothesis. And so this first week is just getting the baseline and then going forward, it's going to be like, okay, if I do the breakout of my protein and carbs and everything, right? And I'm continuing to do all my vitamins and all that kind of stuff, like, which that's not really changing. If I keep that consistent, then how does my body change? How do I feel? How am I sleeping differently? Like all these different outcomes that are important to me right now, just for my performance, because I'm a high performance coach and you have to lead that, you know, that I'm not changing everything. It's going to be very systematic and... I'm going to try it at least for two months and then reestablish, okay, this is what worked. This is what didn't work. This is what I might need to change. And I think you're hinting at that too, but did I pick up on that right? Or No, I think you said that much more succinctly than I did. Oh. <laughs> so okay. yes, yes, absolutely. And, and the other thing I would just tag onto the back of that is consistency is also very important. Mm. I think that a lot of people, and I've observed this, in our friends, Sean, in my in my family members, it's people often have a hard time sticking to a new behavior because they don't see the results that they want right away. Not understanding that the way you get those results is consistency over. When you let's say you you decide you're gonna you're gonna start running, if you just only do it for the first two weeks and you're sore all the time and you don't lose weight, you don't hit the goal you want and stop, you're never gonna get that goal. You don't know what running really does to you. It's the same kind of thing with this food tracking. If you food track for a week, is that really going to give you an idea? Like you have to do it for a little bit longer to, and I think that has to marry to goal as well. You know what I mean? If I'm trying to put on muscle mass, I can't just lift weights for a week. I have to lift weights for half a year, six months to really see if I put on mass. And I have to do it consistently to know if it really worked or didn't work. So that's, the, I would just pin that on the back of that as well. Yeah, I, that's absolutely backed up with the high-performance research. And something that is a bummer for a lot of people that I'll share, that kind of shows the power of consistency, on average in the U.S., people will spend about an hour and a half, I believe, on social media. And so that's every day. It's an hour and a half of doom scrolling or seeing your family and friends, which is, I hope everyone is getting a good experience out of it. There's, that's a whole other podcast with all the other research on that. But 
if you take that hour and a half-ish, right? I think it's 87 minutes. Add that up, that's 38 days out of the year you're scrolling on Facebook in hours. And that's a consistent habit that a lot of us don't think about. So one, it's like, what's your intention with it? Because you got to be really intentful about it. If you're not measuring it, it's those little, that's like the three handfuls of almonds that <laughs> turns out to be not super healthy for you or the macadamia nuts. Like this is another area of life where this consistency principle has a huge effect and we don't even half the time realize that we're doing it. I think that's a really awesome and thoughtful call out. So just want to you know, add on to that. Word. Word. Okay. So if we have like kind of some mindsets of set a goal, track it, be consistent with all the reading and listening and information that you have, do you have any uncommon or unique beliefs about health and nutrition that you don't think is in the mainstream that you've just figured out for yourself. And it's okay if you don't, but. I really like that question. That means it's working. <laughs> yeah, I, this is, this sounds crazy, but I, if you were to see my, I think everyone should have a movement practice. So everyone should have a morning movement practice. So you get up, at some point you should try and move your body, not in a novel way, but at least in a way that's going to prime you for the day. I don't know how off the wall that is, but for me, that involves somersaults and a handstand against the wall. It's with, it looks crazy and I've caught a lot of flack for it over the years <laughs> at the firehouse. But however, I do think just this idea that knowing that you want to move and that you can move is so empowering. And to me, that is, that's just something that's ingrained in me that, that at any time I could be in a prison cell in solitary confinement, I could still move probably, hopefully. Yeah. So I think just no matter what on a day, find some intent way to move and have a purpose to move at some point, even if it's only a minute, I don't know. It's off the wall. I'm not supporting this with any sort of research or anything, but <laughs> it's, it, it works for me and I really like it. That's all we need. Yeah, the piggyback on that too, like having done weightlifting for a while and running, it's so important in any sport or any type of physical activity to push your body in ways that it's not used to. And I'll explain like what that means to me is if you're constantly running forward, you need to be moving sideways and backwards because you're not working those muscles. And eventually that'll catch up and be like a repetitive injury, right? If you're constantly just doing bench press, it behooves you to switch it up, switch up that movement, maybe work out the same muscle, but in a, a slightly different way. Cause there's a lot of those little connector muscles and like a lot of your body that, you know, you don't realize is there until you move it. Like in a weird way that like nobody's going around the world and maybe this is something I should start doing. It's like sideways, right? You're not strafing as you go to the store on the sidewalk because you look like a <laughs> lunatic, right? But it's helpful to have that movement somewhere in your movement practice so you don't have hip and knee injuries, say. And that's, again, not backed up yeah, by science, I, but go ahead. But I, I think, though, it is, and I, I think that we're 
broaching on the subject of exercise, but what a lot of people don't, I think about when they build an exercise program for themselves or they're following one or they're going to a class, the whole concept of exercise and how it improves our body is by pushing us to a new stressor. We have to adapt. That's all exercise is. It's your body making adaptations. And to your point, if you're doing the same thing all the time without changing it, your body's already made all those adaptations and there's no longer going to be a gain from it. So I think that is something important to keep in mind that if you are a runner, swim every once in a while. If you're a weightlifter and you do the same weight every week, you're never going to see improvement. You have to change the movement. You have, there has to be a progressive overload. And that doesn't have to be weight. That could be, like you said, a different movement or could be more sets or more reps. It doesn't have to be going from 300 pounds to 350 pounds. And I think that kind of principle applies to a lot of things that we do in our life. If we're not making an adaptation, kind of get stagnant. Absolutely. For me, probably like a story I can share that's related to this is when I was doing marathon training, having like really hated and resisted long distance running and then being so bored and so stressed where I'm like, yeah, I should sign up for the marathon because our buddy James did it. And I'm like, if he could do it, I could do it, I think. I don't know. Let me, again, it's that experiment. Like, I think I can do this. I got nine months to figure it out. I can't run like 15 minutes straight starting out. This is going to be interesting, right? But the way that the Hal Higdon, right? How to Train book. Yep. I always confuse him with Mel Bay, who's the like guitar, like beginner guitar book instructor. Like, I always make that mistake. But anyways, I you were going to say Mel, Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. I you were going to say Mel Gibson. I'm always confusing things with Mel Gibson. There's something wrong with my brain. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then this How to Train book, it's push, push, have a rest week. And that philosophy of pushing your skill in public speaking, going hard for two weeks and then backing off. And backing off doesn't mean like doing something super low. You're running and that, like starting out, you're doing three, three mile runs during the week and your long runs a four mile, then it's a five mile, and then it drops down to a three mile for your long run. And then it's seven, eight drops down to a five mile, which for me, like running five miles is my easy week after going seven miles is insane. But you feel the progress. You're like, oh, this isn't so bad. I remember when five miles really was too much and now like I'm doing more and this feels good. That principle I have found is really trapped in learning any skill or building something like you can go hard, you can go lighter to recover, realize how much better you've gotten and keep pushing. Yeah. And what's, what's interesting too about that is you were getting into this trained versus untrained. And for people that are ready to start exercising that have not exercised, they don't realize this great advantage that they sit in. Because coming to something untrained, those adaptations come fast and they are big gains. Whereas someone that's been exercising for their whole life, they've gotten to the point where their adaptations are small, right? Because they've already trained. So it's almost an incentive to all of us to try new things. Because 
you know, that first time you shoot a basketball, you're going to be pretty bad at it. But I bet you start hitting the rim pretty quick. Of course, if you want to be a professional, it's that's a lot of hours and practice and and those gains start to become so finite. But to, just to try something new, like you go from not knowing how to play chess to being able to play chess. Think about that leap in your brain to mm-hmm. have made those things. So it's, it is an incentive to try new things and to realize you're going to get these adaptations, whether we're talking about exercise or a skill or an emotion or whatever it is. Yeah. And I, that's on, kind of a digression. I'm sorry. No, I think it, it's right on because what was I going to say? As you go through that, oh, it, the life lesson there, that's a app. If you're not planning to change anything about your nutrition, like the idea that you can build resilience through trying new things. If you've tried enough new, di- no, I know. I think that's why a lot of people in sports at a professional level are really successful in other areas because you've learned that, oh, if I just keep doing the reps, I keep pushing myself, I keep, I have that confidence that I can figure it out. And it might take me a week to get results. It might take me a year, but I know if I keep at it, it'll happen. And you don't get caught up in the perfection of it too. Like it's going to be messy when you start. Like I think that's a really valuable life skill to apply to anything. Like you were saying, yeah, start new things. Believe in your ability to figure it out and get results because it, it will happen if you keep at it. Yeah. So, okay, shifting gears because I wanted to ask you this question. So, like I said, like you've always been a very huge inspiration for me to try new things in my health and fitness. And usually, like I said, anytime we spend any extended period of time, I usually end up picking up one or two things that I'm like, oh, I think this will be good to experiment with. And you alluded to this, like you have a loving wife, you have two strong growing boys. How do you think about motivating them to think about their nutrition or their movement? Because I know this could be a really tricky subject for anyone who's super passionate about any subject and trying to bring their family on board or their friends on board. And you mentioned getting ridiculed a little bit at the firehouse for your somersault headstand thing but i'm also i would guess there are a couple of guys that bought into it and are probably doing it with you but maybe you can share a little bit about that or not but i guess so that's a long way to ask the question like how do you try to move people into action in a way that is positive and doesn't shut them down or have you figured that out i guess i i don't know if i fully figured it out what I do think is important in all things, if you're trying to lead people, is to just be a good example. Let your mm-hmm. actions speak as opposed to your words. So it, it, it's, which is a struggle for me because I like to talk sometimes and people that I love and that I'm close to, I am, I, I want them to be healthy too. Like I want to, but I've come to realize if I call you Sean up and I'm like, hey, you need to start taking athletic greens because it's good for you. You're probably not going to do it. Who am I to tell you what to do? So I think that's just, I think that's key in life for leading, for leadership in general is, you know, people want to see their leaders doing the hard things. And so for me, like the firehouse, yeah, you might mock me for what I'm doing because it's silly. But at the same time, you also see that, 
I'm able to get down there and wedge myself behind the toilet to help get this person off the ground in a way that maybe you couldn't. So I do think that there is just some, that there's the proof in the way I'm able to operate. I think with kids, it's different because you're actively their teacher in a lot of ways. So for my boys, the four-year-olds may be a lost cause right now, but my <laughs> Bodie, who's six, uh, he actively talks about, is this healthy? He will ask me, is this healthy? Is there enough protein is this, in this? Is this too much sugar? So I know the things that I'm saying are rubbing off on him. So I don't think there's anything wrong with, especially youth, being overt and trying to teach them and explain to them why I'm doing these things as their father. With my wife, Shannon, it's a little bit different because now we're getting into this dynamic of a, a romantic relationship and a friendship and a parentship. So it's harder to tread for me because this is about learning what's going to motivate her behavior change, which is different than what motivates my behavior change. And this is a, an interesting story is Sean, for those of you who are listening, he just stayed with my family for a couple of weeks and Shannon had me recently, my wife had me recently devise a little workout routine for her to follow. Pretty open-ended. She could mix and match the days and do what she wants when the right time is appropriate. And she's been really struggling with it. And I'm struggling with motivating her. And she sees me as this like taskmaster of here I am asking her, did you do this today? Well, why not? And I get on her case. <laughs> and here comes Sean and Shannon decides she's going to, she's going to knock out one of these workouts and Sean just cheerleads her. And she has brought that up to me. I think no less than five times since you left Sean, wow. how that day she felt so good about accomplishing what she did. If she could just do that every day, she would be so happy. So I do think that there is a valuable lesson when you are trying to influence your loved ones is to really know what motivates them. And I've learned it is not Jim, your husband, the personal trainer. It's Jim, your friend who, who wants to cheerlead you on is what she really needs. I think that if you are trying to get people in your life to take on healthy habits, it really does. You do need to know them. You need to know what motivates them. So thank you, Sean, for teaching me something about a woman I've been with for 20 years that I somehow did not know. <laughs> well, uh, that kind of cheered me up a little bit. Like I'm really happy that had an impact. And uh, yeah, I, I think there's also, I have this belief, especially when it comes to spouses that, when you're trying to help your spouse, you actually need one other person saying exactly the same thing that you're saying in order for it to land. I think that's just a weird magic rule. I know I've been guilty of it in my relationship and I know my wife Ashley's also been like, hey, you need to do this. And, like, and then she's like, hey, I'm gonna do this. I'm like, what changed? Like, oh, I was talking to someone at work and they said that I, like, it's one of those really funny things where it's what I told you, but like, Sometimes you just need a little bit different way to approach it or because, yeah, I think in that particular dynamic, like I know that you show care by trying to help people keep consistent because I know that works for you. And I was just being like, hey, you did the thing. I don't know, but I'm glad that helped. I don't know. 
what do you think? So I'm guessing, have you been cheering Shannon on a bit more now? And that's been working a lot more? I ha- cool. I have. It, it has been helpful. And it, it's certainly my new tactic. <laughs> yes. Cool. With that said, we're getting at the end of the hour. So I was wondering, is there anything else health, fitness related, or just general life related that you wanted to bring up or talk about? It's good. That's a good question. I, yeah. One thing that I think that something I've been wrestling with, we haven't talked about how I'm injured right now. I mm-hmm. ruptured my pecoralis major muscle. So, which is the muscle that your pack your chest and the muscle that connects the tendon that connects that muscle comes up around underneath your clavicle and attaches to your humerus. And I was doing bench press and the, it completely ruptured. So it was, <laughs> I was in the middle of a press. It wasn't a weight that I was unfamiliar with or had not moved before. And it felt like a spring broke inside of my chest <laughs> and there was a whooshing sound. And then there was just like a 10 out of 10 cramping pain in my chest. But the point of me bringing this up is that I think that what it has taught me is that it really is important to pay attention to recovery, but it's also really important to just take what cards you're given and use those to the best of your ability. So that happened. I'm not really able to exercise that right side of my body with my arm. But I've made sure I've hit 10,000 steps every single day since that happened. I have done a lot of like lower body workout with kettlebells. If you could see me off just to my left is a slack line in my backyard. I've been doing the slack line as much as I can. And I almost feel fitter now than I did before I was injured, which sounds crazy. But I, I do think it's important to just take everything in stride. There is always an option. The, 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 we are really only limited by, in a lot of ways, what we think we can do. Oh, I can't do bench press anymore for a time. That doesn't mean that I can't still exercise. So I think that whatever your limitation may be, realize there are just infinite ways to still achieve the things you want to achieve. And the other thing that this is, it's given me room and space because I haven't been able to go to work to start reading some Stoics, to spend more time with my kids. There were all these benefits that came out of a... A bad event for me. So I, I don't know if that really plugs into what we've been talking about, but it really has given me a moment to reflect and think about that, that we're all going to get bad news, right? Life is going to, it's a roller coaster. There's a yin and yang. And really our attitude really affects that yin and yang. And I hope that people listening to this can, not that this was some earth shattering injury. I'm still can go back to work in a few months. I should recover from this. But it's still a moment to think and to say, hey, this, there's this obstacle now. What can I do to get around it? Or how can I use this obstacle to better me in some way? And there is a way. If you will put your mind to it, there is a way. Yeah. I think this is a great way to tie it up because it, it's one of my favorite like personality traits that I think you have, Jim. And that's this optimism. I consider myself an optimist. And it's amazing how I think our like close friend group growing up, I think shares that belief in a lot of different ways. And optimism isn't 
the hope that everything's going to be good. It's the hope that things can change and you can adapt to them. That's how I define it. And so I love that idea of, okay, I can't do this. What can I do? Where I think so many other people are like, ah, the, I'm out of my routine. I'm out, like, I can't do what I want to do. I guess I'm just sitting on the couch for the next three months. And we all have that, I think, that gremlin in the back of our head that's, yes, take your foot off the gas. But I also think that being aware that, oh, I can do other things and it still will be good for me. And actually, you might incorporate some new things into your routine that aren't even health-related in this instance. I think the Daily Stoic stuff is pretty cool and interesting, and we've had some good conversations come from it, which is amazing. But if there's one thing I would share about my good friend, Jim, that everyone should pick up is that optimism and that excitement for handling whatever life throws at you, even when it's a bummer thing, when you know you needed surgery to, to fix that injury. just wanted to say that. If there's one thing that you could communicate for people to try out or get engaged with in their health, what would you share on that, man? I think that I would share to pick a goal. Pick a goal, whether that's to eat a little bit more healthy or decide to exercise more and make that goal finite. I want to eat X amount of protein in a day. And then just hit that goal for a time. Or I want to walk 10 minutes after every meal to that goal. I, I think that, that would will empower us all or whatever you're trying to achieve. Just to pick something achievable and try it for a while and see what happens. Right on. Yep. Pick a goal, guys. We heard it from Mr. Jim Brandt. So with that said, guys, I am super excited to get this episode out. There's a lot of super good things. Jim, thank you so much for being on the Meaningful Revolution podcast. You are most welcome, Sean. Thank you. See you guys in the next episode. This is Sean Butner saying, live with more joy, more growth, and more impact in your communities. We'll see you guys soon. Take care.